Theatrical Shenanigans with Andrew Martineau. Hello there and welcome to the penultimate episode of Theatrical Shenanigans. I can't believe we are episode 9 already. Where has the year gone? I do hope you've enjoyed this series so far because this episode is going to be just the same. Shortly we'll have a play by a playwright you may be familiar with if you listened to season 1 as he was a guest and a performer. But firstly, I'll introduce you to my guest. My guest this week is an author from the Washington DC area and a member of the prestigious Dramatist Guild. He has written and produced many plays, including Equity Productions in New York, Washington DC and in Virginia, as well as high school productions in the US and South Korea. Coupled with his multitude of writing achievements, he has a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Theatre Education and two Master's degrees in English and Education. Pause for breath. Put simply, his list of achievements and contributions to the arts world is huge. He is Andrew Martineau. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you, Rachel. It's really an honor to be with you today. Well, it's fabulous to have you. Um, so, as I mentioned, uh, your work is vast and stems through many different achievements. But as with all my guests, I have to ask, how did you get started? Well, as uh, many playwrights uh, get started, I started out acting. I, I started playwriting probably not long after graduating from college and uh, got into teaching, mm -hmm. uh, mainly English, but uh, some drama as well. Uh, and uh, I just loved it. Uh, I, I, I thought it suited me probably more than acting, being kind of an introverted person. You know, I kind of am introspective and, and like to just sit in, in my room alone and write. Uh, <laughs> but then I also love the experience of seeing it come alive um, mm. and, and every production being a little bit different depending on the way it's directed and, and acted. So I just love it. Probably <laughs> been doing it for over 30 years now. You know, it's a passion of mine. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's how I got started. And you are, I suppose, formally trained is the best way to describe it. What made you want to focus on theatre education? Well, I, I, I guess I thought that it would be, a, you know, kind of a steady job that I could do. Mm. You know, because many jobs, as we know, in the theatre are few and far between. Or you have to kind of do it piecemeal. Right. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I always have loved teaching uh, and I've taught little kids, you know, uh, creative dramatics and, and directed large scale children's musicals. And mm. uh, that is quite a challenge. I can but, imagine. Yeah, but it's quite uh, exciting and fun and the energy that they uh, that they give. And in fact, my own kids who are now high school age uh, teenagers. Um, are involved in theater as well. Oh, that uh, must be nice. Acting, writing, and directing. They do all three. So uh, <laughs> kind, of, kind of makes me proud that I've passed down that love. Following in footsteps, as it were. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but you also had your own theater company as well. Is that right? Yeah, I did for a short period of time. Uh, I had a theater that I called uh, Sundial Theater Company in the Washington, D.C. area years ago, and we focused on uh, plays primarily about people with disabilities. Mm. Uh, and uh, it was very fulfilling. Uh, one of the plays that we did was, well, first one of my own 
uh, called the dotted line about uh, the the famous uh, creator of the Braille alphabet, Louis Braille. Hmm. And uh, we did Kimberly Akimbo, which is now a Broadway musical, which I saw. It's fantastic. Hmm. Uh, and uh, our one of our goals was to eventually uh, include a lot of actors uh, with disabilities, people hmm. with blindness or deafness and that sort of thing. And it it was it was somewhat of a challenge finding it, but it was it was very rewarding. Eventually, I I, I had to give it up. Uh, started my family, uh, just didn't have the time to fully commit to it. But, uh, you know, I, I still hope that one day, you know, maybe I can get that back off the ground again. That's the one thing about being involved in this industry is it dominates so much of your life. <laughs> it does. It... <laughs> <laughs> it... So uh, now comes a complicated question. Do you have a singular standout moment from your career? That's a great question. Well, I I think uh, the play I was just talking to you about mm -hmm. dotted line about uh, about Braille uh, that that's my favorite play that I've written and um, mm -hmm. I directed it uh, once as well and um, having that come alive uh, was just uh, like a dream come true for me and mm -hmm. so. Hopefully, I'll 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 get uh, more traction with it in the in the future. There's always that that feeling when you're sat there looking up at a stage and uh, the actors saying their lines, and you're sort of thinking they're saying the words they're saying because I wrote those words. I know it's just uh, it's amazing. It's where we get our little god complexes from, I think. <laughs> <laughs> a little narcissism, but you know, a little, a little bit. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. From guest to playwright, as I said before, he's no stranger to theatrical shenanigans. The play for this episode is called Maria and Little Joey Have a Baby, and it was written by George Sapio. For those who need reminding of George's connection to theatrical shenanigans, he was a performer for episode two of season one, and then a guest for episode five. And if you've not listened to those episodes in season one, then I highly recommend you do so. George describes himself as a mid-career playwright, director, producer, actor and dramaturge. For someone in the middle of his career, the beginning is absolutely loaded with accomplishments, including the Mildred and Albert Pinowski Playwriting Award and Critics' Pick at the 2008 Cincinnati Fringe. As well as being an incredible writer of plays, George has also written a book, which I have read, and can tell you it's brilliantly insightful, and if you're a playwright out there looking for guidance, you couldn't do better than Workshopping the New Play, a guide for playwrights, directors and dramaturgs. Finally, as if all of that wasn't enough, for the past 10 years, George has produced and hosted the podcast On Stage, Off Stage, featuring interviews with theatre professionals from all around the world. And having been a guest myself, I can say it's definitely worth a listen. George has provided us with a play entitled Maria and Little Joey Have a Baby, which I would describe as an interesting alternative Christmas play. George says the play came about in connection to the song Little Drummer Boy, and I quote... George could never understand why they let some brat bang his drum incessantly in the presence of a newborn. Couple that with the long-time inclusion of a friend named Vinnie Suitcases, you never, ever look in the suitcase, and the need for something Christmas-themed, and, well, this is what you get. The Actual Shenanigans presents Maria and Little Joey Have a Baby by George Sapio. 
Hey, I got a baby trying to sleep in here. You don't stop that god-awful drum and I'm gonna come down there and ram those sticks up your ass. I don't know how you do it, little guy. Sleeping through that god-awful noise. But you are the best baby ever. You know that, right? Oh my god. That beautiful little face. And you never cry. Ever. Why don't you cry? You're always so... happy. Anyway, it's not like you haven't made a complete mess of my life already. But you're mama's little miracle. Yes, you yeah. are. Just give mama an hour if you decide to start up. Let me rest my eyes, that's all I ask. <coughs> all right, asshat, who the hell are you? Uh... Little Joey? What the hell are you doing here? How did you find me? Talk to me. Uh... <gasps> Talk, Joey, or I'll open your skull all over the floor. How'd you find me? Great. Are you alone? I said, are you alone? Yes, I'm alone. Did Daddy send you? Uh-huh. Does he know I'm here? Uh-uh. Joey! Did you tell him I'm here? Stop! Don't hit me! How did you find me? <laughs> Midwife. Uh, figured since you're vegan, you'd go natural. Knew you couldn't travel far. I, I went through every pay-by-the-hour hotel in the area. Got lucky when I heard you yell at the kid playing drums. Oh my god. How can he play that same beat over and over again? Okay, so you found me. Now what? I'm supposed to bring you back. Your old man's worried about you. My old man wants to kill the guy that did this. Yeah, that too. Well, good luck on that count. Tell the truth, I I'm curious myself. Mind your business, Joey. It's the question of the hour. Everybody wants to know this. I mean, being Vinny Suitcase's only daughter and all, you know for sure somebody's gonna tour the bottom of the river over this. I said, mind your business little Joey, or your brains are gonna tore the wall. Threatening me won't solve anything, Maria. Your old man's on a rampage, and that has never been a good thing. He's got two dozen guys looking for you. The cops, too. You might as well come back now. I'm not going back. You have to. Why? Why? Because your old man isn't the only one looking for you. Shit. Yeah, shit. You didn't consider that, did you? Joey, I can't go home. Maria, it's the only safe place for you to be. We'll put you in the compound. Nobody will ever get through that place. And I stay there for how long? I don't know. Of course you don't know. You can go anywhere you want, anytime you want. It's different for me. You know what I do for a living. Your daddy's errand boy. Right. I fetch cannoli from the bakery on Sundays. No, Maria. I am trusted because I can take care of myself. And I can't? No, you can't. You were never taught how. If I was a boy, I would have been taught how to take care of myself. If you was a boy, you wouldn't be hiding out in a flea bag hotel with a newborn. Is that what makes me less than a guy my age? Having a baby? You really want to discuss sexual politics right now? Don't stonewall me with rhetoric. 
you want to bail on the subject, fine. But right now, you're on the floor with black and blue testicles, and I have a 10-pound pipe wrench. I could have killed you. But you didn't. Why should I? Because your old man, one of the meanest organized crime dons alive today, is pulling out all the stops, every single one of them, to find out who knocked up his 16-year-old daughter. Which means that everybody and their relatives are out there looking for you. And some of them have agendas which will not serve you well. Such as kidnapping or revenge for various and sundry things that Vinny's suitcases has done to them and theirs over these many years. And this somewhat less than honorable profession attracts sickos of all kinds with plain old violent tendencies toward young girls and no respect at all for newborns. And you have already proved in two ways that you do not have what it takes to survive. Oh, really? And what two ways were those? You should never have yelled out your window because I heard you and tracked you up here. You just got lucky. <laughs> That's right. I did. And number two, you should have killed me when you had the chance. You don't understand that if I were anybody else, you'd be in a world of pain right now. How's the kid? The kid is fine. How can he sleep through that goddamn drumming is beyond me. But he's been freaking perfect. Can I see him? How do I know I can trust you? Because you ain't dead right now. Fine. Go ahead. Damn. He's cute. Right? So who's the father? Give it a rest, Joey. We're gonna find out sooner or later. No, you won't. Yeah, we will. I know for a fact that you won't. Really? Tell me, just for argument's sake. There is no father. Really? Yeah, really. No father. No father. Okay. Because you know what I see? I see one baby. Therefore, there must be a father. Unless... Wait. Did you get artificially inseminated? I did not get artificially inseminated. You know, Maria, you could have just adopted a kid. Joey! So what are you, a virgin? Or did someone accidentally impregnate you? Oops, I tripped on the carpet and oh my god, look where my penis landed. You're as funny as a scab, little Joey. And who says I'm a virgin? Joey, look at me. I'm 16. In case you haven't noticed, my breasts have flowered. Uh, okay. And my reproductive organs and glands have reached operational functionality. Which means that I am now in full bloom as a teenage woman. And that means that I am absolutely ready for a man, a romantic, gentle man, to take his hands and his tongue Stop. and whatever other parts may come into play and do things with me. Oh my God, are you blushing? Joseph Salvador Carpentieri, you are 12 shades of crimson. Are you hot for me, Joey? Okay, that's enough. That's right, it is enough. What makes you think that what you did at 16 is okay, but what I do is shameful? And by the way, your jealousy makes you a complete ugly face. Oh, for Listen, I got no problem with you hooking up. Okay, so maybe I do. But you're 16. And while that is possibly a little young... Oh my god, Joey, you're completely medieval. I admit that women throughout history have taken control of their bodies and made personal choices at younger ages. If you were my kid, however, I'd be upset. If I were your kid, I'd slip my wrists. Okay, fine, whatever. And you know what? I don't care. 
I don't. However, it is my job to get you home safe. You won't last two days out here. I just lasted four. Right, four days. And then I found you. And if I can do that, so can others. Maria, I'm very good at what I do, which is why your old man trusts me. But it's entirely possible I could mess up, and then we'd both be dead. You gotta go home. It's the only safe thing to do. Joey, listen to me. I don't want my kid raised in that environment. Not by that family, not around those people. I want a normal life for him. I don't want crime. I don't want danger. You know how many times people have tried to kill my father? Seventeen. What? You asked, right? Seventeen attempts on your old man. Six of them since I started working for the family. Okay, may maybe minus two times, which could have been accidents. Barbecues have been known to blow up, but you have to admit, taking out an entire bocce court is rare. And truly, I think it was only bad luck for Freddy Marbles that he was pocketing your old man's caddy in Rocco Zamboni's spot when the apartment building fell on him. I mean, hey, stuff happens. Has anyone ever acquainted you with the concept of rhetorical questions? I ain't going home. Okay, fine. What are you planning? I'm gonna get lost. Grab a bus. Get out of town. Get out of the country if I have to. South America. You know you won't make it. Your picture is everywhere. And you know, you know this, your old man has eyes every place. I got a plan. Maria, I appreciate your situation. I do. If it were my kid, I'd want him as far away from this life as possible. But you have to understand that Vinny will find out who the father is. I ain't going home. You can't make me. I'll scream, and I'll get you arrested. I can call a couple of friends. You'll be home in an hour. Maria, listen to me. You have no choice here. This will happen. Okay. Fine. I'll go home. Thank God. And I'll tell Daddy you're the father. That is not funny, Maria. By the time the DNA tests come through, you'll be a tunnel support for the Long Island Railroad. Wait. Do you hear what I hear? What? The drummer stopped. Thank God. Shh, shut up. You okay? Yeah, great. Who are those guys? Uh, Jimmy Goldtooth, Frankie Incense, and uh, Murray the Wig. You're making this up, right? These guys were sent by your father. To kill me? No, ostensibly to get you and return you, but uh, somewhere between there and here they got different orders. This is real bad, Maria. We need to leave immediately because I, I don't know who to trust anymore. These three wise guys bearing gifts won't be the last ones to come here, and we have no time whatsoever. Grab your kid, and let's move. Move where? Anywhere but here. Obviously, these guys turn. We can't go back to the compound. L let me get you someplace safe, and I'll, I'll figure out what to do next. No. Come on, Maria. This is very serious. There are three dead guys around us. More will come. We need some ground rules. Ground rules? I need promises on three things. Oh, for... 
Fine. What? Okay. First, no matter what, you promise you ain't gonna trick me and either take me home or tell my father where I am. Maria, those are my orders. Your father gave them to me himself. What the hell? I'm waiting. You know what happens if I disobey your old man? Even the fish won't find my bits. Then you let me go. Say you never found me. I cannot let you walk out of here by yourself. It would be like pulling the trigger myself. Time's wasting, Joey. Oh, holy Jesus. Okay, fine, fine, I'll help you. Second, every decision made, we make. This is not your show. We are a team. We take part equally in every decision. Every decision. These two things are non-negotiable. Terrific. Great. You got it. Promise me on the first two. Promise me, Joey. You're just a bundle of something, aren't you? I promise you, Maria Teresa Evangelica Tortellini, that is somebody who's in love with you. What? Take it or leave it. Oh, puke. Whatever. That'll do. I promise. What's the third thing? Stop wearing your heart on your sleeve. You look like a putz. But I'm glad it was you that found me. Scared me to death somebody else would find you first. You're a putz, Joey. But thank you. Great. Whatever. You better let me have that. <laughs> Not on your life, little Joey. Okay, what's your idea? My car is two blocks away. Let me grab it. I'll come back and honk. Got a cousin who's a realtor in old steel town in Pennsylvania. He'll put us up in one of the vacant listings. We'll figure out the rest later. I love it. But, uh, let me just throw this at ya. You forget your car, instead you steal one. We drive to the Mega Mall in Cherry Hill out in Jersey and park. While you go in and buy a cheap burner phone, in cash, by the way, I switch the plates on your car with someone else who has a car you can pick out easy. Nobody with a noticeable car ever looks at their plates. I use the new phone to make an appointment with your cousin, under a fake name, of course, to see one of those vacant listings of his. Then we smash the SIM card, ditch the new phone, we get your cousin, and surprise! Nobody knows it's us except him. Is that okay with you? That's... yeah. Great. A, a good idea. Hey, thank you for your patience and your willingness to put yourself in danger for me. I appreciate everything you're doing. Yeah, uh, okay. Now get the hell out of here and go steal a car. And make it a nice one. I don't want to be driving around in a piece of crap. So, we got a thing ahead of us, don't we, little guy? I'm sorry for all this worry. I wish we could just be you and me, mama and beautiful baby boy. Joey's a good guy and he'll be good to us, I think. If he's not, mama will put a big old bullet in his bottom. What do you think, little baby? Eh? <laughs> I like him a little. Maybe more than a little. Will you please, in the name of all that's holy, stop the freaking drumming? <laughs> Thank God.
Well, it's definitely an alternative Christmas story. That was Dana Hall as Maria and Darren Ingram as Little Joey in Maria and Little Joey Have a Baby by George Sapio. So, Andrew, what did you think? <laughs> I have to say I loved it. Uh, first of all, I commend the actors who did an amazing job with those accents and the comic touches and timing was uh, wonderful. As far as the play goes, uh, I really loved the satirical aspect of it. it. I think it really skewers those old gangster mobster movies of the 40s in particular. Mm. I think of Edward G. Robinson and James Cagney and and that kind of heightened uh, melodramatic uh, tone uh, to those those old movies. But what uh, I think George did really well was, you know, because it's satirical, he made it so, so funny. You know, great dialogue, uh, just uh, really funny uh, lines, like uh, when little Joey says, the fish won't find my bits. <laughs> that really, really made me laugh out loud. But, um, you know, the nativity story that's paralleling this is just amazing to me. It's sort of like a Christmas story, but it's this monster story as well, <laughs> right? It's just, I don't know how he thought of that, but it was just so original and and uh, wonderful. I just love the fact that despite you got this really kind of dangerous situation undertow, that there are dangerous men out there looking for this young girl including like guys brought in by her own father and at the same time they're still managing to you know just poke fun at each other basically yeah absolutely and uh one thing i really liked about it is that it has this female protagonist that's just so mm. strong and independent even though she's going to be a teenage mother you know when you think about you know the virgin mary kind of parallels it's yeah. just interesting to think about you know the virgin mary and all she went through and the danger kind of like in this world that george has created mm. uh it's just it really makes you think about the christmas story in a different way or at least it did for me you know because she's very independent and she goes through all of these dangers like you said mm. uh that uh you know we don't always think about when we think about the manger and the three wise men and the yeah. fact that it could be dangerous potentially <laughs> story. yeah the more the more you look into it and the more you think about it the more connections you find to the original christmas story and i think it's brilliantly cleverly done there's sort of layers upon layers of connections that you have to listen to it like two or three times before you suddenly go oh hang on a minute <laughs> That's so true. And I I did uh, listen to it, I think, three times. And um, by the third time, I, I, I really started to make a lot of connections there and uh, just marveled at George's mind in doing so. I just I think for me at heart, it would make an amazing Christmas. Party. I'm not sure you could get away with it, you know, schools on, on parents <laughs> night. But I think I think it would definitely make an amazing alternative Christmas story because you've you've there are so many yeah. stories that we see, you know, over and over and over again, and they're all kind of very similar or just slightly adjusted. This blows the nativity story out of the water. Yes. It's... Uh, and it, it's the the connection is loose enough so that you don't have to, you know, draw every parallel, of course, mm. uh, you know, and I think that's good. 
especially when you're dealing with the religious subject and comedy, um, if the parallels were uh, too strong, then people might think, well, you know, the, the real people wouldn't do this. Or, you know, I know the Bible really well. That would never happen, you know. Yeah. You don't do that, of course. Um, so it, it's it's brilliant. As I said before, it's it's very delicately uh, balanced. It doesn't kind of club you around the head with what it is meant to be. It shows you yeah. a story of a young woman and a guy sent to find her. But from that, you could see, as I say, as audiences do, you can see whatever you want to see. Exactly. You know, and that's how theater should should be. You should be able to use your imagination. Hmm. Okay, well, we are almost out of time. Um, Andrew, last question. Um, mm -hmm. are the pieces are whole. What do you What do you think? I I loved it. I I think the tone uh, is is very strong. It's it's funny, but it's it's smart. Uh, it's entertaining, uh, and it's a very original. Very original quote-unquote Christmas story <laughs> <laughs> it ticks all the theater boxes I think it does it does I I loved it <laughs> well Andrew thank you so much for joining me it's been an absolute pleasure having you here it's been wonderful for me thank you so much Rachel no problem well there you go nine episodes down and only one more plus our Christmas special to go I hope you can join us in a fortnight when we'll have our final play of the series and it's another festive themed one. In the meantime though, I've been Rachel Feeney-Williams, this is Theatrical Shenanigans, bringing down the curtain and saying, I hope you can join me next time. Theatrical Shenanigans was an RFW Scripts production with music written and produced by Chris Cody.